You know what's going to happen, don't you? We're going to be in heaven one day and we're going to remember. You remember worshiping the Lord in that redeemed garage? Do you remember all the nations that came together to sing the praises of Jesus? We'll be, we'll be standing in His presence. We'll be looking at Him. We'll be, yeah, like so full of awe and wonder. We won't be able to speak, but we'll be remembering when He used to meet us here. Uh, beloved, I hope you think about that when we come to this humble place. The King of the universe is with us. <laughs> I am is with us. I am is with us. Jesus, King Jesus is with us. I hope you come to this old garage with that in your heart and in your mind uh, to come here and, and worship this awesome God. I, and, and a couple of the songs there were those really, a couple of those songs were the really big God songs, you know. And, and I, I really sense that um, based on my preparation, this week that uh, um, the Lord wants to be magnified tonight. Um, he was magnified in my heart as I did my preparations. And I pray that uh, He will be magnified in your heart even as we um, take a look at God's Word. Because the Lord was so magnified in my heart this week, I only got like three verses covered. So, And one of them is only like a sentence. But... I couldn't help it. I, I, I couldn't go any further. And so, uh, let's hear what this awesome God has to say to us. There's a beautiful story in 2 Samuel 23 about David and his mighty men. Some of you will be familiar with this story. That's what the Bible calls David's elite warriors. They were mighty and they were valiant. I've always loved the story, and I was having trouble Friday morning thinking of how I wanted to introduce the text, and it came to me. I can use that really cool story about David and his mighty men. You may recall that the bad guys had taken over Bethlehem. The Philistines were in charge at that particular time. David and his men were encamped some distance away. 2 Samuel 23.15 tells us that David was longing for a drink of water from his favorite well. Uh, in Bethlehem, the one by the gate. Well, his mighty men got wind of their king's desire. Their name was Josheb, Eleazar, and Shammah. They learned of their king's desire. These three men, they broke through the, the front lines of the Philistines. They made their way to the, to the well uh, they drew some water. They, they fought their way back out through the front line and they brought the water to David. So, I want to stop and ask the question, what would possibly motivate them to do such a thing? To actually risk their lives to secure some water for their king. What could have been their core Motivation. Some might be cynical and say, well, they were simply trying to curry political favor with, with the king. But if we actually read our Bibles, we understand that's not the, the tenor or the tone of the Scripture at all. These men, it wasn't about selfish ambition. It was about this, this desire flowing out of their heart, this desire of love pointed at their king who they loved supremely and they wanted to please him. 
It's simple as that. They wanted to please their king. They wanted to please him. That's why they did it. They loved him. And they wanted to please him. And it made me think of you and me, Lord willing, that that's why we're on the heels of Jesus, right? That's why we're on his heels. That's why we, we walk with Christ. That's why we're following Christ. Not because we're nice little religious boys and girls, but because we love him. And we want to please him. How can you not love this account? The the affection, the devotion, the courage, the zeal, the passion, the selflessness, and uh, the, the sacrificial nature of it, their courage and, and expensive love that they put on display for their king. And I thought of you again. That's how you live, right? <laughs> That's how you live. That's how you follow Christ. Right? That's what it means to know Him. To love Him and to be in relationship with Him. You know, the young adults, I've mentioned it several times in the last few weeks, we're studying the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And on the cover of the book, there's an arrow coming down and an arrow going up. That's basically the whole cover of the book. There's nothing really on the cover of the book except an arrow coming down and an arrow going up. Does anybody remember what that signifies? Anybody from the young adult class? We've got, we've got crazy love from God coming down, Right? and crazy love from His people going up. <laughs> it's crazy love. I love, I love I'm really enjoying this book. I think the young adults are as well. Thank you, Krista, for recommending it, by the way. It's a crazy kind of love, right? It's kind of what we see in this Old Testament account, Josheb, Eleazar, and Shema. It's kind of a, a crazy love. It's like what we see on the pages of Scripture, those self-initiated acts of love and devotion. Why does David fight Goliath? Why does David step in front of Goliath? Because God commanded him to do it. No. Why did he do it? He wanted to do it. It was in his heart to do it. It was his desire to do it. He loved the God this giant was blaspheming. He loved this God. And he wasn't going to let that giant get away with that. <laughs> and this little boy, he goes out and he slays this giant. It was a manifestation of David's words in Psalm 18.1. David said, I love thee, O Lord. That's what it is to be a Christian, right? I love thee. At the end of the day, that's what it is. I love thee. And it was on display in David's life. What, why does the widow throw her last two coins into the temple treasury? Because God commanded her to. No! Nowhere in the law is anyone commanded to give all that they have. That is not a command. What is it? It's a desire. She loved God so much and trusted Him so much, she gave Him everything she had. It was just joy and awe and wonder, and worship, right? <laughs> it wasn't anything less than that. She was in on the sacred romance. She loved her Creator God, King. Why does Mary break the vial of perfume worth a year's wages over the head of Jesus and anoint Him? Why does she do it? Because God commanded it. No! Because she wanted to do it. Because she desired to do it. Because she loved Christ. 
more than a year's wages. Infinitely more than a year's wages. She loved the Lord. That's why she did it. Why does Peter get out of the boat and walk on water with Jesus? Because God commanded it, right? No. <laughs> you may remember Peter initiated that conversation. Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And we know what Jesus is going to say. Anytime you ask Jesus to bid, to bid you come, you know what He's going to say. And that's why I tell you, you should be praying this all the time. Lord Jesus, bid me come. Bid me come to the new place with you. Bid me come to, to the place where you'll be more on display in my life. Bid me come, Lord. Bid me come. Of course, Jesus says come and Peter's out of the boat. It doesn't matter to him that it's impossible. He desires to be out there with Jesus. That's what he wants. It's desire, beloved. It's desire. It's, it's love. Anybody remember what King David did with the water that the men brought back to him? Anybody remember? He wouldn't drink it. I can remember the first time I read that, I thought, that's not good. You should drink it. But you know what he did with it, right? He poured out the water to the one that he loved supremely, right? These men who had shown such great devotion and great love to David, this, this gift was so valuable to him, it was so priceless to him, that he in turn poured it out to God. What a great story. What a great story. I love that story. David poured it out happily, willingly, joyfully, desiring to make it an offering to his Creator, God and King. It's how the Apostle Paul talked about his life. He said, I am being poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. This is what Christians do. I'm not talking about religious people. I'm not talking about merely being a church member. I'm talking about lovers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. This is how they live. It's about being hopelessly in love with this great warrior, shepherd, king who has saved us from our sins. Paul, was, Paul offered all of his life the whole of his life. He gave it to God. I say it to you all the time. We're to give ourselves away to Him even as He has given Himself away to us. This is what Paul did. He gave it all away. Every bit of it. He gave it to God. There were no half measures with Paul. He wasn't playing it safe. He wasn't being strategic. He wasn't being coy. He gave Himself away to Jesus. He loved Him. He loved, man, this, was, this is one of the most beautiful love affairs in the Bible is Paul and Jesus, man. He loved him. He loved him. You can see it in his life. It's part of what God, I think, has been saying to us in 1 Peter. God has reminded us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you are my chosen people. You are my royal priesthood. You are my holy nation. You are a people for my own possession. And then God has challenged us to actually live that out in a way that the world could see it. That the world could see this love that we have for Him. To be conspicuous. 
to be conspicuous Christians in the world. As we talked about the other night at Young Adult Bible Study, to have that, that you know, to smell like God, to have that fragrant aroma of Christ on us in every place that we go. That people would smell and see God in our lives. Tonight, as we continue in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, God exhorts us to be zealous and fearless in our faith and we can, if for no other reason, that we love Him supremely. If you had no other reason to do it, you could do it because He's worthy of that kind of love. And then God reminds us why we are free and able to live that way. Why we can be zealous and fearless for these few moments we have on this planet. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. As I remind you quite often in this series, Peter's writing to a dispersed, suffering, persecuted people. Some of the first century Christians reading this letter from Peter, they have lost everything. They have friends and family members who have possibly been enslaved, imprisoned, or killed. They have lost everything. So how does someone who has lost everything uh, and remained faithful to Jesus understand verse 13? Who is there to harm you? If you prove zealous for what is good. How does that first century Christian hear that? Or, or for that matter, the 21st century Christian who has suffered greatly because of their faith. How do we hear and understand that? First, two points I want to make about that. There's a principle here that, ge that is generally true for Christians. And that is, if you do what is right, if you do what is good, if you do what is honorable, what is laudable, what is admirable, what is commendable, usually the world will leave you alone as a Christian. Usually the world will. Not in all places in the world, but in many places, they will leave you alone. Typically, the world will let you be about your little Christian business. But we also know, as verse 14 addresses that some will seek to harm us for being a Christian, for doing good, for magnifying Christ in our life. And as Paul told Timothy, we know this, we've talked about this several times as we've gone through this book, principally about suffering. Uh, you're going to say, Jim, listen, I've heard you say a couple of these things already in this book. I know. Peter keeps saying the same thing over and over and over and over. Jim, why is he hammering this thing about suffering? Apparently, you need to know about it. And so do I. We need to know that we should expect it, and we need to know that we're supposed to be ready when it comes. Peter writes a lot like John does in 1 John. John just keeps writing in a circle. He keeps coming back to, you must obey the Lord and you must love the brethren. He says it over and over. Obey the Lord, love the brethren. Obey the Lord, love the brethren. 
He keeps saying over and over. And that's the, the refrain of, of 1 Peter. You will suffer. Magnify the Lord in it. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. This is the Word of God. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. We understand that. If we're biblically literate, we understand that. The second point I want to make about verse 13. It is absolutely true in the ultimate sense, the spiritual sense, and the eternal sense. Amen? In that sense, it is absolutely true. We can and should be zealous for what is good because our God is I Am. As we sang so wonderfully. I love those two big God songs, man. <laughs> i got to get them on my little iPod doodad thing. I love those songs we sang tonight. Those big God songs. We can do this because our God is I Am. We can be zealous for what is good. And our ultimate spiritual eternal security is in His almighty, trustworthy, competent God hands. So don't you shrink back from doing what is good, even in the face of persecution or suffering. No ultimate spiritual eternal harm can befall us. You guys remember what Jesus says in Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but fear Him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell, that being God, the most Satan and his minions can do to us is kill the body. That's it. That's their worst weapon. And that's not that big a deal if we're thinking biblically. To live as Christ, to die as someone, tell me. Infinite gain. You know, if we ever get that weighed out, <laughs> and we really believe that, and we own that, yeah, you're free to be crazy. You're free to be crazy in love with God and live out the implications of that. In that Matthew 10 passage, I think several things that I hear Jesus saying, and let me just share that with you as I thought, this, thought about this sitting behind my desk. Jesus says, don't worry about your temporal suffering or even your death because I'm God and nobody else is. And nobody's going to harm you. Nobody's going to touch you without my permission. And if I give them permission, it's for some good purpose that you may not understand. That's not a, it's not about if you understand or not. It's about whether you trust me and you have faith in me. I'm God and nobody else is. I'm your protection. I'm your shield. I'm your deliverer. I'm your fortress. I'm your stronghold. I'm your rock of habitation. I'm sovereign in your life. And I'm sovereign in your death. You can't die one second sooner than the Lord Jesus has decreed. Nothing in the created order can separate you from Me, He says. No ultimate harm can touch you because you are Mine. Not a hair on your head will perish. You may get killed, but not a hair on your head will perish. You understand? You may be martyred, most of us will never have to face that. Some of us could. But not a hair on your head will perish, says King Jesus. Do you believe Him? If you believe Him, you can be zealous for what is good. 
If you don't believe Him, you probably won't. You probably won't. Our God is so awesome, so beautiful, so amazing, so powerful, so satisfying that He turns death into life. (laughs) No one else can do this. Only our God can do this. I was reminded of this at my dad's funeral, how our God can turn tears into laughter, pain into joy, loss into gain. This is what our God does. No one else can do this. No one else can do this. So God says to you and to me, be zealous for what is good because I'm an awesome God and no one can stay my hand, He says. So you're free to go do it. I guess the catch is, do you believe Him? That's the catch. You won't do it if you don't believe. But he says, I'm an awesome God. I do whatever I please in heaven and earth. You're free. You're free to be zealous for what is good. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 13 here in the Message Bible. He says, If with heart and soul you are doing good, do you think you can be stopped? No! You can't be stopped. They can kill the body But you can't be stopped in your ultimate objective which is to glorify Christ whether here or whether there. It's simply a transition, right? Simply a transition whether in the flesh or in the Spirit. We can't be stopped. This Greek word translated zealous, it means what you think it means. One of the definitions I looked up It said to vehemently contend for. Don't you love it? This is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to vehemently contend for that which is good in the world. And what? how do we define good? Whatever the purpose of Christ is, that's what's good. Whatever the Word of Christ says, whatever Christ commands us to do, that is what is good. I know the world likes to have relative definitions of good But our definition in here, because we are Bible-believing Christians and we believe this is the Word of God, our definition of good is what God says. I don't care how many relative degrees of goodness there are in this world. This is our definition of what is good. I looked at some synonyms. We're to be passionate, enthusiastic, fervent, ardent, eager. Does that describe you? Are you zealous for what is good? Are you zealous for the Word of God and and for the glory of Jesus? Is your life about what Ethan has become famous for saying in young adult Bible study? Is your life about making much of Christ? Christ? Is it? Beloved, that's why He's left you on the planet. I say it to you probably every other week at least. We're here to make much of Jesus. Verse 14 again. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be 
troubled. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible tells us that to one degree or another we will suffer, and I've fully developed that in earlier sermons in 1 Peter, and I will, I will not do that again for the sake of time, except to revisit the words of Jesus in John 15. Jesus says, John 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know. What do we know? That it has hated Him before. It hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus says the world hates you for the very reason. It's for this very reason. The principal reason the world hates you is because you're mine. It's because I chose you out of it. You may remember how we spoke about this some months ago in the early verses of First Peter. Persecutions and trials come to the Christian not because we are forgotten by God, but because we are chosen by God. Not because, not because uh, we are neglected, but because we are elected. Not because we are abandoned, but because we are adopted. This is what Peter's re- referring to in verse 14. Suffering for the sake of righteousness, it's part of the deal. Jesus says it's part of the deal. The apostles say it's part of the deal. The history of the church reveals that it's part of the deal. And some of you here have personally experienced that it is part of the deal. And if you haven't experienced it, you will soon experience persecution for the sake of righteousness. For the name of Jesus, it will come to you. God has told us it will come to us. And I'm going to keep saying this, you're not supposed to be surprised when it comes to you. You're not supposed to be blown over. You're supposed to be looking at King Jesus. And you're supposed to be ready to stand and be zealous and fearless. As verse 14 says, fearless! Do not fear what men fear. We do not fear what men fear. We fear God. And because we fear God, we don't fear what men fear. Now, it may well up in us, in our flesh. We understand that. The fear will come sometimes. The anxiety will come. You just got to give it to God. You know, I say it to you all the time. Don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. And when the fear comes up, that's you. You got to look at God, man. Don't look at the fear. Don't look at the persecution. Don't look at the suffering. You've got to look at God. So we understand biblically we will suffer for righteousness' sake and we understand biblically from this text that when that happens, we are... Someone tell me. When the persecution and suffering comes, we are blessed. Do you feel blessed? Probably not, but God says you are. Do you believe Him? You know, it always comes back to whether you believe what God says or not. God says we're blessed. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. 
For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says you are blessed among men and before God when you are persecuted for His name's sake. Beloved, don't be shy about this. I guess the question is, do you want to be blessed of God? <laughs> do you desire that? Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. We understand we, we are blessed. We, we are co-heirs with Jesus. Man, if you ever, like, if you meditate deeply on that, it will make you a little bit crazy, man. You, you understand the whole crazy love thing. You'll understand about, you know, what David's men did for him. And of course, our love for God should be infinitely above that. I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. He told his men, he said, Your Father has chosen gladly to give you every good thing. Don't you love that? Every good thing is yours. You say, Jim, it's hard right now. I'm being persecuted for my faith. The emotional toll is unbelievable. The psychological toll is killing me. I even may fear some physical ramifications. God says you're blessed. <laughs> God says you're blessed. And He says, remember, you are co-heirs with Jesus. Remember, every good thing is yours. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18. You say, Jim, I think you've said this verse to us about three times in this series already. I don't care. Because God keeps talking about it. Apparently, at least I need to hear this. You remember what Paul says? Therefore, we don't lose heart when it's hard. The outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed. For these momentary light afflictions. What does Paul mean by momentary? I heard Piper talk on this one time. They can only last for a lifetime. And you go, wow. Not so much solace maybe. But it is if you actually believe in eternity. It's tremendous solace. It's all momentary. I love it. It's momentary. And it's light. Now Paul maybe has a different view of light than you and I do in that Paul was beaten five times. With he received the 39 lashes five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was once stoned to death, I believe. At least he was stoned. I think he was, that time he died. Uh, got back up and walked to Lister or whatever he did, wherever he went. He was beaten times without number, he said. Multiple imprisonments. He calls this light. This is light affliction. His definition is probably much different than mine. But I remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not, does anybody know? We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not despairing. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Our God is God. Our inheritance is eternal. I will be zealous. I will be fearless. Man, I love this text. It's getting me jazzed up. It's getting me jazzed up. Makes me want to go to Mecca and open up a, an evangelical church. I'm sure I wouldn't get much uh, progress on that. 
Unless God was in it. If God was in it, He would do it. Paul says, listen, he goes on to say, you guys know how, it's, how the, the text completes itself there. He says, we don't look at what is seen. We look at what is unseen. We don't, we don't look at the, this momentary light affliction. We look at God. We look at God. I've said this to you before. The unbeliever is just stuck. All he can do is look at the problem. That's all he does. He looks at the problem. He just looks at the problem. We look through the problem. We look all the way into eternity. Let me share one more verse with you that outside this text from chapter 4. We'll probably get to it sometime late this summer. In chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, uh, Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in, the, but in that name, let him glorify God. Verse 14, God says, Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. This portion in verse 14, it's a quote from uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Isaiah is exhorting Judah not to, to fear as men fear, to not be afraid of the Assyrians. Isaiah says, It is the Lord of hosts whom you should hallow, or regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. Some of you probably remember when we, what we learned about the fear of the Lord back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. I won't redevelop that whole text. But you may remember what it says. It says, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth. And I went and I listed all the benefits of fearing God. And there are many. These, these promises are stunning that God makes to those who would fear Him. And you may remember I said we could paraphrase legitimately 1 Peter 1.17 like this, Conduct yourselves with reverence and honor, acknowledging and rejoicing in God as God, being His friend, understanding His wisdom, receiving His protection and provision, feeling His pleasure, knowing His satisfaction, and experiencing His love, living in awe, wonder, and worship during your time upon the earth. Listen, if you have trouble with understanding what it means to fear the Lord, you go download that podcast. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. David says it perfectly in Psalm, 20, uh, pardon me, Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and He delivered me from all my fears. The Lord encamps around those who fear Him. He rescues them. This is the point. You can be fearless because God is with you, beloved. This is the point of the text, we do not fear men, we fear God. David says it again in Psalm 56, 9 and 11. This I know, that God is for me. What can man do to me? 
Nothing that God has not ordained. That's why I opened the service with that text. We can be zealous. We can be fearless. Because our God is God. John Piper says, there are several good reasons why James 1-2 is not stupid. Who remembers what James 1-2 says? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. I mean, I probably would have never said it this way, but it caught my attention. Piper says, that's not stupid. For several reasons. Let me share a couple of them with you. How can there be joy in our trials? Because God is sovereign in them. God is sovereign in them. Because He's good in them. Because it's a God encounter. God comes to us in the hard place. Because God is disclosing Himself in a more intimate way. Because God is growing us and changing us and stretching us and sanctifying us. God is working His complex good, as C.S. Lewis calls it. His complex good in our lives. God is going to bring us into conformity with His Son. When the trial comes, when the suffering comes, Christians don't murmur. Christians look at Jesus. We don't murmur. We meditate on who He is and what He's promised. And we believe it. We believe it. Verse 15. I'm only going to develop the first, the first thought here in verse 15. We'll pick the rest of it up next week. The first thought is this. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. We can do verse 13 and verse 14 if we have sanctified Christ as Lord in our hearts. We can be zealous for good. We don't fear what men fear because we reverence Christ in our hearts. Our hope in Christ annihilates our fear of men. Our fear of men is destroyed by our view of Christ. He dominates our hearts. Yes, sometimes the fear comes in, the anxiety comes in. We get in the Word and we, and we get on our knees and we look at Christ and the fear has to run. The fear runs from King Jesus. The fear has no choice. It must run if you're truly looking at King Jesus. It's interesting. The Greek word here translated sanctify in verse 15. It's the same Greek word translated hallowed in Matthew 6-9 when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The, the message of the Bible is if we're, if we're going to learn to pray right and live right, Christ must be sanctified or hallowed in our heart. We must learn God correctly. We must learn that He is indeed the Creator, King, God. And consequently, if we've learned God correctly, we can consecrate and dedicate ourselves to Him. He is our Lord, not in some you know, brain-dead, heart-dead, religious way, but He is Lord every morning when I wake up. In every breath, in every heartbeat, He is Lord. None of us do it perfectly. But He is Lord! This is not, this is not academic theology for us. This is a lifestyle for us. We have sanctified Christ in our hearts. That's why we can be zealous. That's why we can be fearless. 
You're never going to be zealous. You're never going to be fearless unless you've hallowed Christ in your heart. This is what the Word of God is telling us, beloved. There's so much power here. And we understand the grave implications of the words of Jesus in Luke 6.46. Jesus says, Why do you call Me Lord and not do what I say? We know there are millions of people who profess to be Christians. But they don't really care what He says. Much less do it. It's easy to call Him Lord. It's much more difficult to follow Him as Lord. But that's what the Gospel is. He is to be our Lord and then this is just this may just be for me. If you get a blessing from it, that'll make it all the more better. But Jesus is the God of Psalm 99. This is how I started the new year. You may not remember. Jesus is the God of Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Don't tell me you can't be zealous. Don't tell me you can't be fearless. King Jesus is the God of Psalm 99. You've got to be kidding me. You haven't met Him yet. If you don't think you can be zealous and you don't think you can be fearless, you haven't met Him yet. He reigns. Let the earth shake. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the peoples tremble. And I have to do this. This is for me. may not be for you. I do this at least once a quarter. I try to. <laughs> and I just have to do it tonight. I have to share that litany or that collage of verses from Isaiah chapter 40 through 46 where King Jesus says, I'm God and nobody else is. This is why you can be Zealous, this is why you can be fearless, Jesus says. King Jesus says, To whom will you liken me? I am God, and there's none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Before me, there was no God, and there'll be no God after me. There is no Savior besides me. I am God, and there is no one like me. The nations are nothing before me. I sit above the vault of the earth. I am the everlasting God. There is no other. I am the first. I am the last. There is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Don't tell me you can't be zealous for what is good. Don't tell me you can't be fearless before men. Beloved, if you really believe and feel that you've not met Jesus Christ yet, or you would feel much differently. <laughs> if you'd actually seen Him with your spiritual eyes, how awesome He is. If we've really met King Jesus, we'll be doing Daniel 11.32, and I'm done. One of my favorite verses. I like to read it out of the King James. 
the people that do know their God shall be strong. And they shall do exploits. You will be zealous for what is good. You will be fearless before men. You cannot not do it if you have truly hallowed Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. King Jesus says to His mighty and valiant spiritual warriors, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Beloved, go forth in the world and be zealous for the good. Be zealous for Christ. Be fearless before men. Do not fear men. Magnify Christ. It's why He's left you here, beloved. It's why you're still here. Everything else is better in heaven. If He hadn't left you here for a reason, He would take you home. Everything's better in heaven. Beloved, be zealous. Be fearless. Our God is God and nobody else is. We're going to celebrate the table tonight. Uh, the way we do this is, uh, well, let me say first, we have open communion here. All who have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior and have followed Him in baptism, you are welcome to partake. You are welcome to come to the table tonight. The way we do this is someone will play a song for three or four or five minutes. Uh, you prepare yourself, confess your sin before the Lord. Prepare yourself to, to, to honor Him in this way, to remember Him in this way, to cherish what He's done, to, to love Him in this way, to adore Him. Prepare your heart. As Paul warned the Corinthians, I always warn you, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. You prepare your heart. You take care of whatever business you need to take care of with, with the Lord. And when you're ready, come and Take the bread, take the cup, go back to your seat. After the music ends, I will stand and read a text, and then we will partake of the elements at that time. Okay? Let's remember what King Jesus has done in our behalf.